We're now getting a little taste of what it was like for the Israelites to worship God in a tabernacle, not in a permanent dwelling place. Before we hear what God would have for us to hear on this Palm Sunday, like always, we need to pray that God's Spirit would be present along with His Word. Pray with me. God, for too long already, we have not been able to gather with all Your saints. We long for the day, yes, that we will be in heaven with every saint from every time and every tribe, yet even now we long just to be with our own brothers and sisters, part of this family. We lament that this virus has split us up and isolated us and it makes us only by Your Spirit hunger more and more to be with the body that we can gather underneath our head the Lord Jesus. So I pray in this unique moment in our own lives that You would give us special grace. That as the Word goes forth through amazing technology like the internet and our own computers and TV screens, that Your Spirit would go before and soften hearts, encourage hearts, comfort weary, broken, grieving hearts and prepare us to return together again. May that day be sweet and special. May it be a great day of reunion for this family. Build in us an anticipation for that day through this Word now. Amen. Well, let's begin by reading the Word. We're going to be reading from Mark chapter 10. Quite a few, verses 32 through 45, actually just prior to Jesus' triumphal entry in Mark chapter 11. So we're reading Mark chapter 10, verses 32 to 45. Mark writes for us, And they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them, and they were amazed, and those who followed were afraid. And taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was to happen to him, saying, See, We are going up to Jerusalem. And the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn Him to death and deliver Him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock Him and spit on Him and flog Him and kill Him. And after three days, He will rise. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to Him and said to Him, Teacher, we want You to do for us whatever we ask of You. He said to them, What do you want me to do for you? They said to him, Grant us to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, We are able. And Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called them to Him and said to them, 
You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Whoever would be first among you must be slave to all. For, because, even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. This is the Word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, here we go again. This is our fourth Sunday of not being able to gather as a full family as Redemption City Church. Hopefully this has only created more of a longing in all of us to be gathered together, to be reunited, that we're not getting comfortable with this. Who could have imagined even just six weeks ago our world like this? If not for modern technology, we would be a lot more isolated. The loneliness, anxiety, depression, the grief would be far worse than it already is. But no doubt, you faithful believers have been praying continually, as Paul tells us to, for relief from this pandemic. Many people are quite sick Healthcare workers running ragged. People are losing their jobs. Parents thrown into chaos as they have to both work from home and now homeschool their kids. Those with addictions and mental health issues are much more vulnerable right now. I just read recently that pornography use is way, way up. Temptations to sin becoming so much stronger in isolation. We need to be praying for help. Good news, God promises all through the Bible that He is our help. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Psalm 46, Connor sends me this one all the time. God is our help, our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Psalm 121, I lift my eyes up to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord the Maker of heaven and earth. I love Matthew 7. If you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask Him? And everyone's favorite, Romans 8.28, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. But you hear these promises, and what does that make you think? What, what does that help look like? What is the shepherd doing for us? What good thing is happening? Most of the time when we go in prayer and ask for help, it's far different than what he's actually doing. We see that in our prayer lives. When we ask God, we typically just want the trial to be done with. Make it go away so I can get back to doing life as I choose. I read a sad article this week that reminds us that if we understand the Bible properly, we realize that even in a great crisis like this, once it's over, the new normal is going to look a lot like the old normal. We'll certainly do some things a little bit different, but ultimately everyone's going to go back to pursuing their own life, their own careers, their own comforts, their own kingdoms but a little bit better version of this world is not what Christ came for. His help is something far more dramatic. 
So what are we praying for right now in the midst of this pandemic? How are you hoping it will end? What are you hoping it will look like when it ends? The question really behind all of these questions is, whose kingdom are you praying will come? When God lifts this plague, most people will go right back to pursuing their own kingdoms. But God is giving us this crisis as a gift to remind us that His kingdom is coming. In fact, it's even present now in His people. It's an opportunity to turn ourselves from building our own kingdoms and to be part of receiving and proclaiming His. Whose kingdom are you praying will come? Palm Sunday is a great time to consider this question. On Palm Sunday, we celebrate the arrival of the Messiah into the capital city of Jerusalem. God promised He would come. The prophets foretold Him. God's people had been praying for generations for Him to come. And now He's here. He's arrived right at the gates. God has answered their prayers. But not quite in the way they were expecting. So today we're going to look at how they missed it from these texts just before His triumphal entry. In verses 32 to 34, we see that Christ help has come in Christ Himself and what that looks like. God has answered the prayer, but in a totally different way than they were hoping. And then we turn to verses 35 to 45, where Jesus calls His own followers to be the help. And there, I want us to see that Christ has called all of us to be the help. Help has come in you by His Spirit. They were misinformed about the kingdom. They didn't know what this help was going to look like and what their role was in it. So considering this text and applying it to our current circumstances, we can see that God has already answered our prayers. Help has come in Christ. And help has, is now here by His Spirit alive in you. He's calling His people now. He's calling His lost sheep now. And He's fitting us for a much better kingdom. So let's go back to the text. Start in verse 32. And look at this important moment as King Jesus now turns His face to Jerusalem and says, now it's the time to accomplish what I have come to do. Help has come in Christ. They were on the road going up to Jerusalem. And Jesus was walking ahead of them. And they were amazed... And those who were followed were afraid. And taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was to happen to him, saying, See, we are going up to Jerusalem. And the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And after three days, he will rise. Not going to get into quite as much detail in the text as I typically would like to, since Jake and I already preached on these texts, the parallel text in Matthew, almost exactly a year ago, just a little bit more than a year ago. But current events are giving us a, a new opportunity to look at this with fresh eyes. What does the arrival of the king and his kingdom mean for us? This morning I want to highlight a, a contrast between what the disciples expected and what Jesus told them was going to happen. And right away in the text, we see they're going up the road to Jerusalem. 
for the disciples, that's like they've finally reached the light at the end of the tunnel, so they think. For generations, the Jews longed for deliverance, for the Messiah to come and bring an end to their oppression. Ever since they returned from Babylon, they've always been under occupation by a large foreign empire. First the Babylonians, then the Persians, then the Greeks, and now the Romans. And none of these kingdoms were very good to, the, to Israel. In many ways, what they were experiencing was far worse than what we're going through today. It was almost impossible for someone who was faithful, genuinely faithful to Yahweh, to live out their faith. An ordinary citizen's only option to see any change in the world was to pray. And pray they did with great longing that the Messiah would come with all authority in heaven and on earth and He would finally turn things around and make things right. So they would hold their Bible in one hand. Well, many scrolls, this is kind of a metaphor, they'd hold their Bible in one hand and their copy of the Jerusalem Gazette or the Jerusalem Times in the other hand, interpreting every passing day with great anticipation for the arrival of the king. They read all these promises from the prophets that the king was coming and he was going to establish Jerusalem as the capital of the world. And then over here, they're reading the news, they're watching current events, and they see events unfolding just like Daniel foretold. Any day the Messiah was going to come, conquer the nations, establish Jerusalem, and make Israel great all over the world. Unfortunately, they spent a little too much time on this side, wallowing in circumstances and interpreting the news not enough time understanding the Scriptures because they missed a lot about what that Messiah was going to do. Notice in the middle of verse 32, some were amazed and some were afraid. For three years they had been following Jesus around, waiting for that moment when He turns towards Jerusalem and they begin that march into the city and He starts cracking heads. It's probably going to be a bloody mess, but... They were certain the prophets guaranteed victory. So some were really excited. Yes, finally, we get to be part of this great moment. And others were understandably a little fearful of what was going to happen. But more evidence that they missed it is that Jesus tells them specifically what's going to happen in the coming days, and they still don't get it. Verses 33 and 34 say that He's going to be betrayed and condemned to death. Doesn't sound like much of a revolution. It's going to be an ugly death. There's not going to be a big crowd coming around Him and beginning this big uprising. It might look like that on day one, but very quickly over the week, the tide is going to change. The mood will shift in Jerusalem and they will mock Him, spit on Him, flog Him, tearing His flesh open and crucify Him quickly putting down any thoughts of their political rescue. But don't miss the last verse, the last phrase. After three days, He will rise. Jesus wasn't coming to start a revolution. Their prayer was answered in a far different way. He was going to bring His kingdom 
into the world through the hearts of His people by dying on a cross for their sins and rising from the dead, guaranteeing them eternal citizenship in His kingdom of peace and righteousness. And we get to represent that in the world now. We get to usher in that kingdom through our lives, through our worship, through our love for one another, through our weekly gathering. The kingdom will come not through a political or military victory, but through self-sacrifice. But it's obvious the disciples weren't listening. It's like as soon as Jesus said the words, we're going to Jerusalem, they tuned out and kind of went off into la-la land imagining this cool kingdom and them sitting on the thrones and eating grapes and having some beautiful women fanning them with big palm branches. Jesus keeps talking and all they hear is wah, 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 wah. And every time Jesus tried to clarify, He talked about this over and over. The disciples just dismissed it. Peter said he would fight to the death. He would never abandon Jesus. And then, as soon as he was arrested, they scattered. Peter denied Jesus. The help had come but not as they had planned. It would give them greater freedom than just political freedom. They would be free from their sins. Free to worship God in spirit and truth anywhere all over the earth. They would be free from condemnation under the law. Free to enter into God's eternal kingdom. To walk right into His presence. What a gift that is. But they just didn't get it. Even after Jesus rose from the dead, they still didn't get it. Acts 1.6 They say, Lord, will You now at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Because you can imagine what they're thinking. How about a revolution with an indestructible warrior? He can't be killed! This coming battle is going to be a landslide victory. They didn't get it. They just didn't get it. And we don't either. Just like the disciples, fear, anxiety, misplaced hope, idolatry, cloud our vision, keeping us from seeing what He has done and what now we are called to do. We talk about God being in control, about the resurrection being our hope, about serving those who are in need, and then our ears just kind of tune it out. Just like the disciples did. We, we have our own minds of what our own ideas of what that should look like, how God should answer our prayers. Do you have a mindset on a different kind of deliverance? Where you get to just return to going about your business, seeking your kingdom of comfort and prosperity, frustrated that this virus, this pesky virus is getting in your way of a comfortable life? Or do you see this as an opportunity to display the kingdom of God already present in us. Let's take a look at the following verses, 35 to 45, and see how help has come to you, or in you, by His Spirit. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. He said to them, What do you want me to do for you? They said to him, Grant us to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. 
Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? They said to him, we are able. Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called them to Him and said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their great ones exercise authority over them, but it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Whoever would be first among you must be slave to all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. I mentioned a couple weeks ago that lots of people say right now that they're trusting Jesus. God is in control. They're not afraid. But we saw that how you act reveals where your trust really lies. And that looks a lot of different ways, but the way that you are dealing with this current crisis reveals a lot about where your hope is. It's not for me to figure that out, to judge that, but asking you to consider that. And I say this, that we misunderstand it, and I know the disciples misunderstood because immediately after He tells them explicitly, specifically, what's going to happen in Jerusalem, they begin jockeying for greater position in the coming political kingdom. They've just been praying for the problem to go away so that they can go about their life having their own dreams fulfilled again. And similarly, we plaster social media and encourage ourselves with nice platitudes about God working all things together. God is our help. And then we go straight to complaining about the government or whining about staying home, arguing that others aren't doing, aren't loving their neighbor the way I do. They're not doing enough to help. We check the news every 15 minutes to get updates to whether the victory over the virus has finally come. And our leaders are grasping for more and more control. In times of crisis, everyone runs to their God. Times of crisis, though, are a gift also from God to reveal where our trust really lies. But Jesus doesn't just cast us aside for being idiots. He doesn't just toss us aside. We see here He continues to explain and be patient with His disciples until we get it. So He explains in verse 41 how the kingdom is going to fill this world. The cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. He's saying what He's already said many times. You choose to follow Jesus, you will have trouble. You will suffer. You will be persecuted. This is the way. There's no point in trying to avoid it. There's no stay-at-home order or self-quarantine that will spare you the curse of the world or spare you the cost of following Christ. So we need to change our focus. Jesus says in verses 43 and 44 that our goal should not be self-preservation or self-exaltation, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Whoever will be first among you must be a slave to all. Why? Verse 45 gives the reason for because 
Even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give His life as a ransom for many. He's saying if the King Himself is going to give His life as a ransom, then all of His followers are expected to do the same. Model the sacrifice of Christ by giving your life to serve. Give your life in place of all those neighbors around you who don't have the same hope that you do. Now, this did take a little while to sink in for the disciples we saw in Acts 1, but only two verses later, in Acts 1.8, Jesus clarifies their new mission. But you, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you, you will be my witnesses, my representatives, my kingdom ambassadors in all Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Help has come in you by His Spirit. We've been praying for help. And God is answering that prayer by filling you with His Spirit. What the world needs right now is not for Christians to just hole up and wait until this thing passes over, but to engage with the willingness to lose our lives in order to save others. That's what Christ did for us. And that's what His Spirit is now doing in us for our neighbors. So how do we engage this chaotic world with this kind of confidence in Christ's work and His Spirit in us? We can start by asking, whose kingdom are we praying will come? So I want to give us three things to inform those prayers as you at home begin thinking about how is God calling you right now to represent His kingdom? Three things that we'll finish with. First, watch your information intake. Second, find people to serve. And third, let's not go back to normal. First, watch your information intake. We are always looking for saviors. We're always looking for a savior to bring the kingdom that we desire. A financial savior, a political savior, a sports savior, a medical savior, spiritual savior, relationship saviors. We reveal that Longing, that idolatry in how we search for that information then. Constantly checking the news or our social media feed, our email, our text messages to get the good news that our, our Savior has arrived. Always checking to see if we're on the right side of history. We're on the right team so we'll be exalted when, when our team wins. We're just like the disciples. Too much focus in the world and we miss what Scripture is telling us. Burdens my heart to read an article that people are sharing this week saying that Christianity has nothing to say about this current crisis. Are you kidding me? That's all we need to be focused on is what God has said. We endlessly refresh our news feeds hours a day to get the latest reports, the data, the directives, and all it does is confirm our idolatrous desires. You can, whatever you believe or whatever you fear most right now, you can find an article, a news report somewhere that tells you exactly what you were thinking to support it. And then we take our little truth bomb and we drop it back out there to show everyone how we were right and they were wrong. This isn't helping. More news doesn't help. We already have the best news. More news only drives you further away from the good news of what Christ has done. Someone shared with me a great article this week that I put in the newsletter that I encourage everyone to read called 
Watch your knowledge diet. It's wonderful wisdom for us in a time like this where we're all at home more, our routines are upset, we don't really know what to do with our time, and we're tempted to just spend all of our time looking at the news, scrolling through social media. But instead, he says, we should treat our information intake like we treat a good, well-thought-out diet guided by a nutrition pyramid, maybe. On the bottom, our main source of spiritual nutrition is the Bible. We have more time than ever to be in the Word, so let's take advantage of it. Let's be saturated in the Word. Spend all of our time in the Word. If only we got little phone reports that told us three and a half hours this week or per day in the Bible instead of on your phone. Ouch. And then, after you've spent a lot of time in the Word, the next thing up the pyramid is be with your church. Now, it's difficult, but we can call one another, text one another, video chat with one another, send letters, serve one another, build each other up, encourage one another, especially those who are on the front lines who are exhausted. And then after that, continuing up the pyramid, get outside, go for a walk, read the book of God's creation. And then if you have any time after that, pick up a good book. Explore another world through someone else's imagination. Or sharpen your thinking through someone else's logic. Then after all of that, if you still have just a brief moment in the day, go ahead and check the news. It's like candy. It's okay occasionally as a treat, but too much will be damaging to your soul and it will only lead you to have more of a desire to satisfy your flesh to build your own kingdom and not Christ's. So watch your information intake. Second, find ways to serve. I think this has been our greatest emphasis over the last few weeks. Serve. Get outside yourself. Be compassionate. Find someone to help. The more you're thinking about others, the less time you have to think about your own kingdom. But when the Spirit of Jesus is alive in you, it makes you want to serve. You can't help but be filled with compassion for people. And since your own kingdom is totally insufficient to care for anybody, the only option you have is to invite your neighbors to receive God's kingdom in Christ. People are asking really hard questions right now about the meaning of life, about why God would bring difficult things like this, about death. We're being faced with death. News reports giving us constant counts of people dying. And our culture panics because we don't know how to deal with death. We are so uncomfortable with it. Hundreds of people every hour from more than just coronavirus are dying. And we panic because death is the ultimate reality and yet we spend all of our money, all of our time trying to push it away, to delay it, or to ignore it. But... Now people are forced to deal with it. And Christians have the best, most comprehensive, most hopeful answers. So let's let our lives be a testimony of that hope and our words be an invitation to participate in that hope. We're not just trying to preserve this world, but prepare people for the next one. We aren't just trying to preserve a cultural way of life, but to welcome people into a counterculture. We aren't trying to preserve an earthly kingdom, 
but usher in a new heavenly kingdom. And what better time to do that than right now when everybody's questioning everything? Introduce your neighbors to Christ's kingdom of peace. Finally, we can't go back to normal. This is an opportunity, a gift from God for you to change who you are, to change your priorities, to saturate yourself in the Word and become a new person. If your eyes aren't in the Word, your heart's not set on Christ, then right now all you're hoping for is for this to lift so you can go back to life pursuing your own kingdom like you were before. You can't wait for it to be done so you can get back to work, back to play, back to your own comfort. And this is our natural tendency. I see it through all throughout the Word. Noah gets off the boat, off the ark, and he and his sons start doing exactly what people did before the flood. Israel comes out of the Red Sea and right away they begin worshiping a golden calf. The Jews return from Babylon and they return to idolatry. But we don't have to because we have Christ in His Spirit. This crisis can be your great moment of incredible sanctification and spiritual usefulness. Christ died to guarantee your faithfulness. His Spirit lives in you so that you can give your life as a sacrifice just as He did. Let this be a defining moment where you take up your cross, deny yourself, and offer your life in service to your neighbors no matter the cost. Because when this is over, as soon as the government says you can go back about your business, This isn't really going to be over. There's going to be a lot of fallout. Some post-coronavirus PTSD. People struggling with doubt, anxiety, depression, and other trauma because this shocking moment has messed with their souls. Families are being separated by illness and death and they don't have time to grieve or say goodbye. Others being more entrenched in temptation without accountability for weeks. We can't go back to normal. There's no peace there. Whose kingdom are you praying will come? If you're longing to build your own kingdom, you can't wait until you get back to the way things were. But if you're praying for Christ's kingdom to come more fully, then you will see this moment in the coming months as an opportunity to exalt King Jesus and invite others to join Him. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give His life as a ransom for many. Let's let Redemption City Church go and do likewise. Let's pray. God, make us a kingdom of servants. Make us able to bring Your kingdom peace, Your kingdom righteousness now into our own neighborhoods. You have forced us to scatter, but don't let us isolate. Let us use this opportunity to reveal the peace, the rest that You have brought to us by the sacrifice of Christ. And may we be willing to give ourselves no matter the cost that others may join us. You have lost sheep that You are bringing this crisis into the world in order to call them out of their slumber. May we be the alarm clocks to waken them. Use us in mighty ways this week for Your glory that King Jesus might become more famous in this city. Amen.